to the church. This can kind of be a confusing thing. It's these 40 days leading up uh, to our celebration of Easter and the resurrection of our Lord. And so this week we, we move into that time of Monday, Thursday when Jesus met with his disciples in the upper room. Good Friday, when he suffered and died upon the cross for our sins, and then finally, three days later, his glorious resurrection on Easter. And that is what we're here to talk about today. But before we get to any of that, we often skip over this very important day called Palm Sunday, which is today, which you saw in the video there, a king comes riding into Jerusalem on a donkey, someone that the Jews, the God-fearing Jews, thought would be their king, and God had other plans. God often uh, interrupts our lives and he often interrupts our services when the pastor forgets to dismiss the kids. And so at this time, if you're in grades pre-K through grades five, you can head on out with Miss Mary and Miss Andrea today and have an awesome time at Kingdom Quest. These kids are looking at me going, I don't want to listen to your boring sermon. Get me out of here. So as you heard in our scripture reading today, Jesus is entering the holy city of Jerusalem and a great crowd was gathering. Very similar to today, they're probably a little bit more ruckus than you are. You're a little tame, so we're going to need to get riled up here in a little bit just to kind of give you a feel for the atmosphere. There's a crowd gathering for a couple reasons. One, it was the Passover festival, this time of remembrance and celebration for the Jewish people as they've been rescued out of Egypt that they celebrated every year and everybody comes to the holy city. But there was another reason that a crowd had gathered that day. And it's because word was spreading about a carpenter from Nazareth named Jesus that was claiming to be God. And so the buzz was growing, the momentum was growing. People had heard all over the, all over the region about Jesus feeding 5,000 people with a small boy's lunch. They'd heard about Jesus uh, putting mud on people's eyes and all of a sudden that they can see. Just a chapter ago in John chapter 11, which we heard about in the text, you heard about Jesus healing, not only healing, but raising from the dead his friend Lazarus. These are things that don't happen every day. I don't think that those things are in the Des Moines register this morning, right? Des Moines man, risen from the dead, right? You don't see that every day. And so if you're in the crowd, you want to know what is it with this guy? What's all the fuss about? What's all the talk about? And so by the time we get to Palm Sunday, Jesus is what you would call a rock star. He's a celebrity. And so when Jesus enters the city, just to give you a picture for what the scene looks like, I think the closest thing for us would be like uh, the, the Urbandale Parade, the Fourth of July Parade, or the Beaverdale Parade, except a lot more crazy. A lot more crazy. I'm, I'm thinking more like a, you know, a team wins the Super Bowl, or the World Series, and they have a parade for them down the, uh, the main road of the large city of New York or Boston or one of these big cities. And there's thousands of people that have lined the streets. That's more what it's like. And so what they do is they start ripping off palm branches from the palm trees around the region and almost as a royal carpet. They start laying them out and they take their their cloaks off and they lay them down for the king to come in, in anticipation and they start shouting, Hosanna! Blessed is he is he who comes in the name of the Lord. And so instead of just talking about it, we're actually going to do it to give you a feel of what it looked like. So there's a reason that you have palm branches on your chair. So grab those if you have one or two. And if you came in late and you don't have one, the ushers can grab you some. Uh, we have a few extra around. So just make sure you have one. I know they're kind of small, but just picture it's a huge big branch. All right. So 
what we're going to do, this is going to be the Hosanna side. So say it with me. Hosanna. Hosanna. Good. This is the, the blessed is the king side. Yours is a little bit more complicated, okay? So it's a little bit longer. It's a little bit of a mouthful. So I shortened it for you. Instead of blessed is he who comes in the name of the Lord, we're just going to do blessed is the king. I'll say, okay, so blessed is the king. Blessed is the king. Okay, now, a word about enthusiasm, okay? I know it's early. I know it's the early service. But if you have a stick, if you have a piece of shrubbery in your hand at church... Use the opportunity to whack somebody with it. Wave it around, people. Get excited, okay? So when I call on your side, I want you to say it like you mean it. Like, don't throw it at me necessarily, but just make use of this opportunity to hit your neighbor, okay? So we ready? All right, a little friendly competition here. So Jesus coming into Jerusalem and the crowds yelled, Here's what I heard. Hosanna! <laughs> okay, stand up. Stand up. Here we go. Stand up. Let's try it again. Now watch closely because I might mix it up, okay? Jesus come in Jerusalem and the crowds yelled, Hosanna! Now watch for it. Don't get smart with me. Don't get smart with me. The crowds yelled, round of applause. Good job. Awesome. Praise God. So if the sermon gets boring and your neighbor falls asleep, just whack them. That's what you got it for. There's a reason that you've got it. So they're saying Hosanna and they're not just making this up. They're not just shouting things out for fun. There's a reason that they're saying this Hosanna, which means, well, we know it to mean praise the Lord, right? So when we were just standing and yelling, it was praise the Lord, but we also know that the literal meaning of Hosanna is save us. Save us, which would be an interesting thing to yell at a party. Next time you're at a party with a lot of people, stand up and wave a palm branch and say, save us! You might get some interesting looks. There's a reason that they were yelling out Hosanna. The only reason you would say that is if you needed saving. If you were a people that needed saving. So, Exactly, that's what the Jews were hoping for that day. Why the, the royal treatment? Well, because this was supposed to be their king. The Messiah, Jesus, this was supposed to be their king who would come in, in prominence and, and power and be, and be like King David. King David, who was a great military leader who, who rode into town and in and out of town after his victories of going out and conquering all the nations. And he would ride in on his great big horse with a big sword and all his armies behind him. And so when they heard the king is coming, the Messiah is coming, that's the image that people have in their heads. And can you imagine being somebody in the crowd and you're about five rows deep and you kind of work your way to the front to see this great military leader and what you see is a peasant on a donkey. Really, Jesus? A donkey? That's, that's what we're here about? That's what the celebration is about? Hosanna, save us, King Jesus. Okay, I guess he's the guy, so we're going to say, save us. Be our Messiah, King Jesus. Set us free. But with all due respect to who the nation of Israel thought they were getting that day, Jesus was something entirely different. God had other plans. 
with all due respect to the national pride which the palm branch had become a symbol of over the, 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 the years that different revolts had come in and tried to kick out the Romans, they, they held these palm branches in high regard. This is like waving the American flag. It's a symbol of national pride, but with all due respect to the nation of Israel, with all due respect to their pride, with all due respect to kings and kingdoms, with all due respect to leaders and presidents and powers that exist in our world today, Jesus was making it clear. During his three years on earth, by everything that he did and didn't do, by everything that he said and oftentimes by what he didn't say, he didn't fight his sentence later on when he's led away to death. He didn't fight his sentence even though he was an innocent man. He didn't call angels, tens of thousands of angels down from heaven to rescue him when he's suffering on the cross and, and wipe out all the mockers. You think about all the times that he could have come and crushed his enemy, all the, all the arguments he could have made, all the things he could have said, all the things he could have done, but he didn't do it. He didn't do it because of his love and his compassion for you, for all of us. Out of his love and compassion, even for those that completely misunderstood the kind of king they were getting that day. While he was on trial later on, he looks Pilate point blank in the face and he says this. Let's read it together. My kingdom is not of this world. Because if it was, Jesus says, you'd know. If I was trying to build an earthly kingdom, I'd be fighting you and you'd be losing. If it was all about building power and wealth on this earth, Jesus says, you'd know. <laughs> I'd have no problem crushing you. I would have no problem blowing your wealth and your power and your titles and your positions out of the water. So with all due respect to any power or person on this earth, Jesus says, my kingdom is way bigger. Way bigger. In fact, I'm the king of kings and the Lord of lords, Jesus says, which means we don't get to tell Jesus who he is. He tells us. What kind of a Messiah, what kind of a king are you looking for today? Who do you want Jesus to be for you? Who would you want him to be? In fact, I was thinking about it this week and this struggle of wanting to Jesus to, to come on our terms to, to be who we want him to be. Well, it didn't end with the Jews on Palm Sunday. I think maybe we do the same thing. Whether consciously or not, we've set up some pictures of what we think Jesus should be like as well. What kind of king makes us feel good inside? And if you need a little bit of a reminder, I had some fun uh, on Google this week. And I guess if you're going to Google anything, Jesus is a good thing to Google. Uh, and so I looked that up. And there's a lot of different images that people have of Jesus. And maybe some of these are the, the picture of Jesus that you're living with. So here's our first one. Uh, and this is what I like to call the cabbage patch Jesus. Um, if that's the version of the Messiah that, that you want. Um, we got the cabbage patch kids around there. And Jesus is, he's a teddy bear. It's almost like you can just kind of take him and squeeze him and, and, and hold him. And yes, he loves the little kids. And there's a little lamb there. And there's a little halo. And it's just all nice. 
and pretty. Go ahead to the next one. Uh, this is what I call the... This is what I call the homeboy Jesus. Anybody like the homeboy Jesus? Uh, you know, sometimes we want Jesus to be our buddy, right? We don't want Jesus to be our Lord and tell us what to do. We just want Jesus to come along with our plans and our agendas and, hey, Jesus and I can be buddies. We can be pals. Jesus is our homeboy. He's cool and hip. But then we look a little deeper and it's like, no, that doesn't fit either because Jesus wasn't really concerned about being popular, was he? Wasn't really concerned about being cool. But here's the next one, kind of the exact opposite, what I'd call the saintly Jesus, right? Uh, I don't know if Jesus has a personality. If this is your view of him, it's like, oh, wow, that belongs on, uh, in a cathedral or on a, on a wall, on a plaque somewhere. Next one, here's my favorite. This is what I call the not amused Jesus. <laughs> I don't care how funny your joke is. Jesus is not amused. <laughs> You're not funny, okay? So just stop, stop trying. Jesus is like, I'm, I'm not amused. It's, I don't think you're funny one bit. Uh, the image that, <laughs> that is not, uh, I don't, I hope Jesus never looked like that. Um, the next image is what I grew up with. And maybe this is, does anybody remember that one? Does anybody, that was on the, the Sunday school wall, right? Probably in your Sunday school room or on the wall at the church. And because of this, growing up in Story City, which is like the hub of North American Scandinavia, right there, we have our town festival is called Scandinavian Days, okay? Yeah, shout out for Scandinavian Days. There you go. And so I'm like, I'm Scandinavian, I'm Lutheran, so Jesus must be Scandinavian and Lutheran, right? Right? Because he's got blonde hair, he's got blue eyes, and man, he can grow a beard, right? And he looks like all my ancestors from Norway that, that don't smile and have their pictures on the wall, so Jesus must be Norwegian. Hell, maybe not. It seems that we get our perceptions of Jesus mixed up, but it's very important that we get the right picture of Jesus in our head. How easy is it for us to misunderstand the things that we see? It's, it's almost like we, we're seeing a mirage sometimes because what you see isn't always what you get. It's like just because I, I think I see, I think I see the Cubs winning the World Series this year, right? You know? And just because I, well, I think that every year, but just, but I'm seeing a mirage, right? It's probably not going to happen, right? Just because I see it, just because that's the way I perceive it, doesn't make it so. It's almost like I'm seeing a mirage, but all kidding aside, probably the most important question that we could ever ask is, who's Jesus, right? Who is this king that came riding into Jerusalem on Palm Sunday? And when we look at our story today, what I want to highlight and just walk through together in the text is there's three distinct groups of characters. There's three distinct groups that each misinterpreted, misunderstood who Jesus was, and each for a different reason. Each group that we're going to highlight had their own terms for who they wanted Jesus to be, for what the Messiah was like. Jesus, here's my terms, and if I'm going to follow you, this is what has to be in order. The first group that you, always, you have already met, and it was the good, God-fearing Jews that gathered in, that, that, uh, in the city that day that just wanted a king. Their terms were simple. Jesus, you be the Messiah that we want, or you're not the Messiah at all. You're, e you're either the Savior or you're a lunatic. But you can't be in between. But God had other plans. Instead, he sends a Messiah who says, no, my kingdom's not of this world. Instead, it's going to last for eternity. 
It's a heavenly kingdom, not an earthly kingdom. That's our king, Jesus says. I come on my terms, not on your terms. So that's the first group, and we've talked a little bit about them, but there's another group that often gets overlooked, that, Jesus, that didn't see Jesus clearly, and they had some terms of their own. And for their side of the story, I actually want to turn to the Gospel of Luke. We've been in John, but it'll be helpful to get another perspective on the story. So flip in your Bibles, uh, just one book before. So the Gospels are Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. Again, if you need a Bible, just pass them down. Just throw your palm branch at someone and they'll get you a Bible. And we're going to go to the Gospel of Luke, chapter 19. And so the different Gospel writers all are telling the same story, but just from different perspectives. So we get four different perspectives, and they all tell the story of Palm Sunday. And Luke says this in Luke chapter 19, verse 37. If you've got it, say, I got it. Got it. All right. Verse 37. Luke writes, When he came near the place where the roads go down to the Mount of Olives, the whole crowd of disciples began joyfully to praise God in loud voices for all the miracles they had seen. Verse 38, Blessed is the King who comes in the name of the Lord. Peace in heaven and glory on highest. Now watch this. Not everybody's amused. Verse 39, Some of the Pharisees in the crowd said to Jesus, Teacher, rebuke your disciples. And then Jesus responds in verse 40, I tell you, he replied, if these people, if they keep quiet, the very stones will cry out. Pharisees, party poopers again, right? When are they going to learn? What's the deal with our friends, the Pharisees? These last few weeks, it seems like every time that we encounter them, every time they've been popping up, there's one thing that you can count on. They're cranky, right? There's one thing that emerges again and again and again. Jesus loves to party, and the Pharisees don't. They're cranky. They're not all about this big celebration. Most of the time, they're cranky with Jesus. And if you think about it, for the Pharisees, the religious leaders of the day, this is supposed to be one of the greatest days in the history of Israel as a nation. We're showing our national pride. We've got the the palm branches out. This is supposed to be a great day. The king of the Jews, the Messiah, is finally here. And all the Pharisees can say is, Jesus, tell these people to Calm down, and, and while you're at it, I don't know, this is just my interpretation. This is the John International Version, but I, I just imagine the Pharisees going, and while you're at it, turn that dang music down. It's too loud. That's what I just imagine the Pharisees saying that day. Everybody's just getting a little bit too excited. Jesus, would you just tell them to calm down? Now, it's important that we remember one of the keys that Ben talked about last week was this idea that we often paint the Pharisees with a pretty harsh brush, and they get labeled as the bad guys, oftentimes because we think that they're purposely trying to be evil or something, but here again, for example, that's, that's not the case. Instead, the Pharisees' reaction to Palm Sunday is a case of their terms versus Jesus' terms, their understanding of the Messiah versus the Messiah that Jesus actually was. And you have to understand this law, this word of God, that these good, God-fearing Jews, the, the, the Pharisees, they've been studying it their whole lives. And unfortunately, the life-giving word of God had been reduced to a set of rules. Dry, empty religion. 
That's what it had been reduced to. These words that you're holding in your hands this morning for them had been reduced to a dry and lifeless set of rules. And along comes this rabbi from Nazareth who is, again, nothing like the king of David. And on top of it all, Jesus doesn't follow any of the rules. <laughs> your savior is a rebel. He's a renegade. He's breaking all the rules. He starts healing on the Sabbath. He starts forgiving people's sins. He's hanging out with all the, the dirty, dangerous people. He's hanging out with the sinners and, and, and the rejects. And now he's got the whole city in a big uproar and a big party because they think he's the one. And if Jesus is the king for the Pharisees, that means they don't have the power anymore. They're not the final authority anymore because when Jesus, people see Jesus, they say, well, he teaches with authority. They can't teach with that same authority. They can't be who he is. This is infringing on their territory on their power. And so for the Pharisees, they're saying, no, Jesus, we call the shots. In other words, Jesus, stop rocking the boat. Jesus, sit down. You're rocking the boat. How dare you, Jesus, threaten the status quo? Here's our terms, they say. Jesus, here's our terms. The Messiah, which is clearly not you, the Messiah will bring order and the Messiah will bring consistency. Not a celebration for pity's sakes. Jesus, we're the real religious people here, and so all these other people can just chill out. Just chill out. Don't get too excited about anything. For some of us, I wonder, when you first came to faith, and that joy and that innocence that you first found, you were invited to a party. You were invited to a Jesus party. And I think for some of us, that Jesus party has turned into a religious event. Where for some reason, we just kind of show up and we go through the motions. And it's one of the reasons that, you know, in the last few weeks, we've been moving to this new order of worship where we kind of do more singing at the end. And it's just a, a small little tweak, but it's for this reason of challenging you to put all the other distractions from your week aside and do exactly what the crowd did that day and say, I don't care what's going on around me. I don't care what other people think. The king is here. And for us, he's alive and he's still here. The spirit of the living God is in this place today. And so why should we care? Jesus, I'm all in. I'm going to praise you with everything that I've got because you're the king. But somehow I wonder, without realizing it, we've set up our own terms. Just like the Pharisees, we say, ah, you know, Jesus, you're... You're a great guy, and, and the band's great, and this, this worship thing's great, but I know it's important, but let's, let's not get too carried away. I mean, really, let's calm down. I mean, I'm a grown adult. I don't really show my emotions too much. I know for some people, worship is a really great time and everything, but, but all this singing and clapping and, and, and dancing, is, it's just not really my thing. You know, John, I, I, I'm here, I'm, I'm diligent in coming every single week because, well, this is what Christians do. It's what we're supposed to do, and I, and I go through the motions. But, but this getting fired up for God, that's just something that you can do when you're in your 20s, right? That's just what young people do. So I don't really need to get all fired up, and, and you're saying I'm supposed to express my emotions and my affections for God with other people around, around me? Are you, are you kidding me? 
My terms are this. Jesus, I'm all in, except if I've got to let my heart go. I'm all in. I, I want to love you with all my soul, mind, and strength, but that heart part, that's, that's a little different. Jesus, I'm all in until it starts to feel weird and uncomfortable, which is sad because I know that you have this passion to worship inside of you, not only because I see it here on Sundays, I see it in the pastor's living room. And here's what I mean by that. Some of you have been over to our house recently and we've been watching some basketball games. And you might think, John, you know, it's great to do that here on Sundays, but, uh, you know, what kind of a person would go crazy in the pastor's living room? You would. Many of you. Including myself. So we're watching these basketball games, and, uh, and that is not actual footage of some of you, by the way. Those are soccer fans from Holland, which you look like a lot uh, when you worship. But, so we've been watching all these great basketball games during the tournament, and it goes a little bit something like this. So the game starts out, and it's, it's this incredible game, and we're about five minutes into it, and you're sitting there nice and calm on the couch, and all of a sudden it's, Oh, come on, guys! Come on! You can do it! Come on! Play harder! Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on! Come on, come on. No! Don't shoot! Yes! Yes! Oh, no! Ah! And you don't think you have any passion in you, right? So we get about halfway through the game, and, and the game's tied, and your team hits a three-pointer, and they're, they're dribbling it around, and you're like, no, 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 don't shoot it! Don't shoot it! Yes! Woo! You're doing this in my living room! I think you can do it! Here, and we get to the end of the game, and it's the fourth quarter, and the last second shot, and you're like, shoot it, shoot it, shoot it now, whoa, yes! And everybody's jumping up and down and going crazy, and there's food spilling all over the place, and that's okay. Because that's what we do at the pastor's house. We have parties. If you can get fired up about 19 and 20-year-old college kids putting a ball in a hoop... Why not with the God of the universe? Who deserves all the praise and all the glory and all of our affections? I tell you what I don't see at my house during the basketball games. Let's go, state. All right. Yeah, beat those wildcats. Yep. Man, it's, uh, just thanks so much for inviting me over. It's just really great. You know. So God, I, I just pray for the Cyclones and for Iowa State. God, oh, we just won the game. Uh, yes. Go State. Jesus, right? That's not what I see in my living room, but sometimes we get so self-conscious. Now, don't get me wrong. What I'm not talking about is if this is going on, these expressions are going on out here. If you're doing this on the outside, I think what Jesus is concerned about is if you're doing this in here. Is he on the throne of your heart? Is he the treasure of your heart? Because the danger comes. Now when we just stop jumping up and down, that's not what I'm talking about. The danger comes when what's going on in here stops fueling what's going on out here in our worship. The danger becomes when what's in here becomes a dry well. 
And that's what happened to the Pharisees. We see in Matthew 15, Jesus says these pretty harsh words. He says, these people honor me with their lips, but their hearts are far from me. Jesus says, I want your heart. I want your affections. Yeah, I get it. 80% or 90% of life is just showing up. But what are you doing when you're showing up? Is your heart engaged here? Or is this your hour a week to be religious? That's the danger. That's why the Pharisees missed the point of Palm Sunday. Because looking put together, looking mature was more important than experiencing Jesus. And that's why they say to Jesus, and in, in, in verse 40 here, they say, shh, calm down. Don't get too excited about all of this. And that's when Jesus responds in verse 40. And let's read this together. I tell you, he replied, if they keep quiet, the stones will cry out. And you have to understand, when Jesus says this, it's not some arrogant need for attention. <laughs> Jesus says when it comes to worship, I want to I set you free from all of those fears and all those insecurities that you've lived with for so long. In fact, I, I wonder if for some of us, I wonder if for some of us, the healthiest thing that we could do, the most holy thing that you could do in your life this week, in your spiritual life, is loosen up. <laughs> Just loosen up a little bit. I'm serious you. Some of you, you need to get that nine-year-old kid that used to whack his brother with the palm branch in Sunday school. You need to get some of the nine-year-old kid back. You need to get some of the childlike faith that Jesus talks about. Don't wave your palm branch like this. Wave your palm branch like you mean it. Loosen up. Tell your neighbor, loosen up. Neighbor, loosen up. Sometimes we just got to loosen up a little bit. I, 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 don't, I don't understand this thing. Hosanna. Hosanna in the highest. Loosen up a little bit. Have some fun and, and, and open your eyes to the celebration around you. Because Jesus says, I don't, want, I, don't, I don't want you to miss the party. Jesus says, I want to fill you up with my joy. But you've got to stop worrying more about your appearance than me being the treasure of your heart. So back to the Palm Sunday story. Yes, there's the God-fearing Jews. Yes, there's the God-fearing Pharisees. But there's a final group that had an agenda. And maybe this is where it hits home a little bit for us. There's a, a third and final group that had some terms that they wanted Jesus to fulfill as well. And it's not who you would expect. It's us. Well, his disciples. It says his followers, his disciples were there with him that day. And you'll remember Jesus had gained quite a following. And so there's dozens, if not hundreds of people that have been following Jesus now for weeks and months. And didn't just show up for the Passover. People that have, had left everything to follow Jesus. And they're saying, Jesus, yeah, I'm all in. And so for them, this is a great day because now they get to finally tell all of their friends, they're like, you left everything to follow a carpenter around the countryside? What's up with that, right? And now they're like, he's the guy. He's the king. And so like, this is the one I was talking to you about. This should be a great day for them as well. They're saying, friends, family, like this is the guy I've been following and just wait. We're going to follow him all the way to the throne. He'll take his rightful place. We'll put a crown on his head. He's come to make us, Israel, great. But unfortunately for a majority of Jesus' followers and sometimes for us, their terms were a little bit more hidden but just as dangerous. Here's their terms. Jesus, I'm going I'm to follow you but as long as you keep things nice and easy. 
Jesus, I want to follow you in my life as long as you keep things fun, as long as you stay popular, as long as you keep doing all those magic tricks and making us feel good. Because isn't that what's isn't that what's following you is all about, Jesus? You're gonna you're gonna take us to the top, Jesus. I want to ride your coattails to the throne. But the problem is later on in the journey, Jesus starts calling his followers and he starts calling us to some pretty strange places. He says, "I'm the king, but my throne is a cross. I'm the king, but my crown is made of thorns." Come follow me, Jesus says, but it can't just be when it fits your agenda. Come follow me, Jesus says, not when it's just convenient or it's popular for you to do so, not just when you're around other people that think and believe the same thing. Follow me, Jesus says, because when you go any other place, you're always going to come up empty. Jesus says, follow me because I need to show you what real power is all about. The real power doesn't come through titles or degrees or positions. It comes through love. Because Jesus knew that, that power and authority are capable of doing anything. Power and authority are capable of, of forcing people to do anything you want them to do except love you. Authentic love can't be forced. It has to be real. So if you're the God of the universe with all the power and force in the world and you want to show your love to the people that you love and yet you want to express it in a way that doesn't scare them off and it would actually woo their hearts and actually win their hearts, what would you do? Well, you would need, to, if you're the king, you would need to strip yourself of all the, the trappings that come with that power and you need to meet your people where they are. To the point where you could actually say, I'm one of you. And that's the story of Jesus. That's our king. Jesus says there's a different kind of power. There's a different kind of authority. And it's called love. It's the kind of authority that Jesus would show a chapter later when the God of the universe would get down on a knee and take the position of the lowest, lowest of low servant in the household. And wash the dirty, grimy feet of his followers. Jesus says, this is what my authority looks like. It's not a top-down, lord it over. It's an underneath, serve you to the point where you're going to fall in love with me, which was my heart all along. It's the same authority that Jesus, at the end of his ministry, gives to us. And he says, all authority has been given to me. Therefore, you go and make disciples. Jesus says, this is my authority. I'm giving it to you. Jesus says, you want to be a church that looks like me? You want to be a Jesus church? Go wash some feet. Amen. It's not cool. It's not popular. It's not sexy. But Jesus says, if you're going to follow me, you're going to serve. That's who's mature around here are those who serve. The greatest in the kingdom of the, are those who get down and wash feet. And here's the incredible thing. You're doing it. You're already doing it in so many ways, and I am so thankful for that. You're doing it in little ways when you mentor kids here at Hubble, and I've seen them look at you. I've seen these elementary school kids that go to this school that you take a half an hour out of your week to come in and pour life into them, and they look up at you with these eyes of going, wow, so that's what being a Christian's all about. They'll remember you. 
That's the kind of authority we're talking about. You do it when you serve each other breakfast here every morning, when you take the time to share your hurts during the week. You're, you're doing it when, you're, when your small group serves together and realizes you're more than just a holy huddle together and you start saying, what do my neighbors across the street need? I'm going to show them a Jesus kind of love, a Jesus kind of authority. You do it when you help transform a Liberian church with some paint, some running water, and the love of Jesus. God is on the move in this city. God is on the move. The king is on the move. And he invites you to be a part of his kingdom today. Through building his church, not just here at Hubble, not just on the other side of the city, but all over the world. And so Jesus says this morning, don't miss Holy Week. Don't miss Palm Sunday. I don't want you to miss what my mission is. Jesus says, I'm a different kind of king. I don't want you to miss my mission. It's a mission that a few days from now culminates with his arms outstretched on a cross. And Jesus says, it's finished. Not because he's a dead man. He says, it's finished because it's done. It's over with. It's finished. Jesus says to you, and this is what I want you, if you don't hear anything else today, this is the good news for every single one of us. Jesus says, it's done. I've taken on the enemies that you will never be able to defeat in your life. No matter how strong, no matter how smart, no matter how mature you are, I've taken on the enemies that you will never be able to defeat in this life. I have taken on the enemy of your sin and I've forgiven it. I've taken on the enemy of your death and I've squashed it. I've stared your death right in the eyes and I've said, oh death, where is your sting? That's the message of Holy Week. That's the message of Palm Sunday. Don't miss it, Jesus says, with your own agenda of who you want me to be. I'm the King of kings and I'm the Lord of lords. And I've come because I love you that much that I would give my life for you. That's the gospel. Don't trade it for anything else. Don't trade it for anything else. And so as we close, I just want you to sit back and be reminded one last time this is our king. Let's take a look. Praise God. Praise God. Let's stand. Let's stand. Praise God. Amen to that. That is our king. And I wonder this morning, do you know him? Do you know him? Do you know the king that loves you more than you would ever know? And it was on the night that he was betrayed that our king was with his closest friends and followers and he took the bread. And he broke it and he gave it to them saying, take and eat. This is the lengths that I am willing to go to show my love for you. To show you that I am not the king you think I am. Take and eat. Do this in remembrance of me. Again, after supper, he took the cup. And when he had given thanks, he gave it to them, saying, Take and drink. This is the new covenant in my blood. This is my promise to you that I will wash you clean and forgive all of your sins. Do this in remembrance of me.